0: We are Michael Veazey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey there, folks. We are in the middle of a discussion on the e-commerce leader with Jason and myself of Amazon business models, broadly speaking, sourcing models, i.e. where do you get the stuff from to sell? We've been talking in the last episode about uh, reselling, which is anything from online arbitrage, retail, replans and wholesale sourcing. So check that out if any of those are things you're exploring. Today, we're going to be talking about the ones where you create uh, your own products or have them created for you or you find them so private labeling uh light customization what i call private label 2.0 custom mass-produced product, and handcrafted which is a very interesting sourcing model and then we're going to talk a little bit at the end as well about two very different models which are little talked about i'm going to tease that up and leave jason to tell you about that at the end of the show hope you enjoy the show and do take notes as ever if you want to see the ready-made notes just go to the ecommerceleader.com for the notes enjoy the show sooner or later i whatever your reselling skills are you're very vulnerable to amazon doing what they've historically done more and more and more over two decades now which is cutting out the middleman or middle person so you really sooner or later if you're not adding value to the supply chain you tend to get cut from it and amazon is very big on doing that so that's why somebody like a jason boyce eventually went to the point of private labeling products because that means you're going further down the supply chain um so you know you can't just be cut out of it so that brings us really onto the finding slash developing your own products piece which is mm-hmm. obviously the first thing to say is uh, let's look at the downsides first <laughs> let's be real about this because there's a lot of hype about this first yeah. of all you're going to have to have substantial capital you're not going to start a private label business with a thousand dollars i'm sorry people still say that in 2021 occasionally which just blows my mind this is not actually any reality i've seen it's going to cost you several thousand dollars just to get your first product Mm -hmm. off the ground and that's just for the first batch of inventory and then if you get a product off the ground. You kind of want to restock it because you spent all that time, money and energy getting something you plan for success. As you've said, Jason, on our podcast before, but not just for failure. So if it takes off, where's the extra money to to fund that? So uh, what looks like a $5,000 project will normally turn out to be 10. And I'm not going to get into the mass of that there because I've run it 100 times on the podcast. But you need to prepare for not only your first order of stock. You need to actually sell it, in other words, launch costs, and then you need to restock it having said all that and the fact that it takes several months maybe nine months to get launched obviously what's great is that you own the listing effectively because you're the only person selling the product you get to dictate the packaging and you're starting to really build a brand that is not just a reseller brand in other words you're not just good at curating other people's products which is a valid business model and and i've got a, a an eight-figure seller primarily doing that in, in one of the groups i run but it is not so defensible but you're starting to build a product brand. And that means you're really starting yeah. to, to build something more defensible that you can own and definitely more sellable because right now mm. private label based businesses are on Amazon are selling like hotcakes. So that yeah. is a whole different ball game and a whole different yeah. upside, but it's a much bigger fight and you need to be really determined and, and
1: sure that you want to do this thing. And you've got a great training on private label. I will say that on private label, there are teachers who teach people to do it, I will just say stupidly <laughs> and the stupid way to do a private label business is to actually not care about the brand name to not put any time and thought into creating a brand. I encounter people sometimes who in our coaching process will have, we have an intake form and they'll say, well, I sell on Amazon private label and I'll say, what's well, your brand? And they're like, well, we have a few but it's not really they're not real brands and as soon as they say that i know they've been a victim of this bad training because what you want to do with private label is put on the brand creator brand manager hat and really understand that you're making a unique entity and that people can bond with that unique entity if you do it right and that whole element of branding is so critical to me. Uh, you know, you can go look on me, We have a course on uh, branding that we teach. And I would just say, if you haven't gotten into private label yet, but you want to just be sure to really think through the elements of a successful brand and learn about them, go read books about them. There are many books about, you know, successful branding and realize that you're building something that could be a seven, eight, 10 figure asset, or you're creating something of no value. That's really just got no, you know, real real energy or enthusiasm, and that would be yeah. a huge mistake, you know. I agree, and and by the way, if you've gone through at least a little bit of
0: reselling work before you start, which I didn't because I was pitched straight into private labeling, which is not the best start. I, I got into it because I was pitched rather than somebody thought it was the right thing for me. <laughs> so I would say a responsible trainer should offer a small, you know this kind of open people's eyes to the possibilities of the different business models and then help direct somebody towards the one that's right for the person at the stage they're at because if you come to this from doing wholesale type sourcing you you are first of all realistic about uh, the downsides of wholesale so you're not going to bitch and moan to put it frankly when things are a bit challenging for the private label because there's a the reason it's challenging because the upside on the other side is bigger but also you're going to understand the difference between a brand and just a bunch of generic rubbish because you will bought from people who've develop proper brands if you're wholesale sourcing or even retail arbitrage if you're reselling you're probably reselling something that has some kind of established brand otherwise there wouldn't be any profit margin left in it for you to sell against them so you're absolutely bang on Um, reselling a bunch of random products from china is a disaster because you not only you don't really have any brand equity or anything real it's not going to be sellable It's just a kind of rubbish version of retail arbitrage, but just over a bigger distance, i.e. it's coming from China. So you're having to buy three months worth of stock or for whatever, or wait, wait three months to get the stuff in. So you're absolutely bang on. You have to get proper, proper training. And also you're absolutely right. If you're going to do this, you need to build a real Mm -hmm. brand or don't bother in the first place.
1: Yeah, totally agree. But with those things said, it does create a huge opportunity. And the brand, again, just like with the idea for wholesaling, It gives you the platform opportunity, the opportunity to launch on further platforms beyond Amazon, Shopify site, sell on Walmart, sell on, you know, other sites. It's a huge opportunity. eBay, Walmart, Amazon are sort of fantastic opportunities if you have a brand. And then, you know, on your own direct to consumer site, you of course make the most money, you collect the most data and you have the biggest work to do, but the biggest opportunity as well.
0: So. That's true. The only thing I would say is there are there are certain that, that can be some products will sell across lots of different channels and do beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that one shouldn't aim to build a brand that gets off Amazon as early well as possible because you probably should. Amazon has a lot of downsides and risks as well as you know good cash flow opportunities. But what I would say is some products will work really well on Amazon because they're keyword driven, some will not. I've I've helped a couple of people sell products on Amazon, they've really struggled. And I've said to them, frankly, you know, you've got your own direct-to-consumer site, this is more suited to that because it's one of those products which when people see it, when they're browsing through a sort of focused set of stuff, let's say you're in the stationary space and there's some unusual pen design, people see it and they think that's really cool. They click on the listing, they look at it and they're sold on your brand because they're on your site and they've they've experienced other products from you and they'll take a risk because it looks cool. Now, if it's not keyword driven, that that product will never show up in a sort of brand driven browsing yeah. way on amazon because most people are driven by keywords on amazon yeah. so there are some products it's a bit of a nuance but it's an important one some products that will work in retail stores or your own direct consumer site that just will die on amazon from not having enough demand so you need yeah. to invent to be very mindful about where you're trying to sell a product before you
1: start creating it, i would say mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. from that point of view as well yeah so that brings us to our next business opportunity or business model which is uh, lightly customized yeah. products, and yeah. so I'll describe this from my point of view, and then have you uh, share yours as well. Our, I think it's fair to say, our most successful client that we work with—it's a coaching client—basically was an industry expert and saw the products that were available in that industry, and knew that the products were deficient in a couple specific ways because he and his, you know, they as a group were industry experts and so went to a manufacturer and said can you change the product in the following ways manufacturer said yeah we could do that if you want to it's more expensive but you know whatever and then they said yes please give us that <laughs> so it was a lightly customized product if you will that the manufacturer just made some changes for that were personalized to this company and as it happens they took it to amazon And it became the Amazon's choice. It became the highest reviewed, best reviewed. It became the number one product on other blogs and articles off of Amazon where they point people to the best of type categories and uh, they crush it. And it totally worked because they had insight and perspective on the industry that they were operating in. And they knew the small changes that would really, it was like, you know, little hinges that swing big doors. Type idea, and that's it's just it's a genius implementation of this lightly customized product that they created a brand around. You know, mm,
0: really good story. I, I think there's a few things that come out of that. I mean, first of all, I want to clarify the difference between what we just called private label or what I call pure private label, when you literally only putting your logo and packaging on a product that is otherwise exactly the same as the manufacturer's product versus the lightly customized thing Uh, the first thing i want to say just to kind of diss the pure private label thing is i would say don't do this at home the upside is not worth the downside here because what happens is that if you've got the same different packaging but the same exact product amazon consumers aren't so stupid that they won't notice that the images in the 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 product uh, search results page just look exactly the same and so it become a price war which is kind of similar to the downsides of retail arbitrage or wholesale. But guess what? The the downsides of private label are on top of that, which is it costs more and takes longer to get going. So I think the only way to go, if you're going to private label at all, is to lightly customize. That's the first thing to say. I don't think pure private label is in any way a wise thing to do now. I just don't advise anyone to do it period and i could say that pretty definitively because i've seen so many people come to grief with that and it takes a long time if you're going to come to grief let's fail quickly and move on (laughs) don't spend nine months doing something that's built in failure so the lightly customized thing i think what strikes me about your client above all is the words industry expert they had insights and perspective on where the products needed to change, and that's the absolutely critical thing. And this is the downside of private label. If you're going to develop products, you really need to understand the space. and And a lot of people come to me, and that's why I tend to try not to work with people who have no idea what they want to do because they're really hard to help. They come to me and they say, "Okay, you know about Amazon? Yes, I do." And they say, "Okay, what should I sell on?" Like. I can't tell you that really. I can give you a lot of criteria, but in the end, you're going to have to decide what you care about and who you want to serve. And I've done my best for so five years, we're in our sixth year of one-to-one coaching now here, but I've done my best to substitute for a lack of imagination or caring about a single set of customers and their needs. And I can't, I can't compensate for that. I don't think anyone can. If you don't have a particular group of people you have an insight into. It's extremely hard to create any kind of business. And that's what wow. I would say. You've got to be willing to get your hands dirty, have conversations with people, care about a particular set of problems in some
1: pretty pretty much detail, I would say. Sage advice, man, sage advice. And it's because you, you learn, you go so deep, you know. And, and exactly. it's so interesting when you start to learn about the wide world we live in and the various niches and industries. And it's, it's like anything else. If you hear about the sewing industry and you know nothing about it, you're like, is that, is that a thing? Or you, know, you heard it hear about the, the, you know, it, just pick any random niche that, or industry that you're not familiar with. You just don't know anything about it. And to think that you could sell to those people is just, it's not realistic. So love something, learn about it, be an industry expert, lean into your vast decades of prior experience you know, especially the story that's common to me is what I, and I've had this conversation multiple times. So I know it's a mental trap where people who have a 30, 40 year career in an industry, like they're electrician or something or a plumber or some like elevator repair person or some specialty thing. And then they want to have a career selling online. And they say, well, I want to sell t-shirts and like, wait you're an expert as an electrician but you want to sell t-shirts but what about selling something for electricians yeah like no i'm tired i'm tired of that <laughs> like, i know well, i've had so many conversations
0: like that man over the last few years and you're so right i mean turning your back on two decades of experience is a crazy crazy idea i mean yeah. try, try and understand that you don't have to have the downsides of being an electrician if you're dealing with selling an electrical product online you're going to have different problems and different upsides yeah but you can still utilize all those decades of experience and to put you ahead of the game you have to have a competitive advantage and you have to add value if you don't have those two things Mm -hmm. it's toast it doesn't matter what the business model is those are very basic principles and because amazon is a very efficient market don't forget it was set up by a wall street guy who's used to the efficiency of stock markets and that brutal but efficient comparison which is good for the consumer and not so good for producers who are inefficient if you're not adding value or solving a problem better, then you shouldn't really expect to get paid, which really brings us to the to the ninth because I'm aware of time ticking. Yeah, the ninth yeah. uh, version is very similar to there's a sort of graded scale between pure private label, lightly, customers, lightly customized and custom produced uh, product. So I guess the difference is you start with literally a clean slate or drawing board and work with the product designer to start from scratch. That's going to cost you more time, more money, and it's more complex, obviously. But the upside is it's more defensible. You're going to get more passionate reactions from consumers if you get it right. And potentially, therefore, a higher price and better conversion rates. So I would just say I would start with like customization in the private label sphere and then move on to custom produced uh, products as and when you're ready because it's more complex. But it is more defensible. And ultimately, in a product based business, if you're going to have a real product based brand, you need to have a unique product, not kind of different and that's a more expensive risky thing but it gives you solid competitive advantage if you have it that could last for years if you get it yeah. right
1: and i would just add to this conversation that the lightly customized and custom product that's a spectrum what's the difference you know i like it, it would be hard to say the difference between what lightly customized means and because you know is there any new type of product like imaginable that's very rare Uh, Most people sorry just gonna say most people approach the topic by saying what is currently in existence and what's a form factor or change or unique element to it that I could bring to the party. And so it is on a spectrum and so I wouldn't get hung up on these two differences. I would just say if you're starting with a product from a manufacturer and asking them to make changes to it, you're in the ball game of some version of lightly to fully customized product creation.
0: That's true. The only thing I would say is that the starting point might literally be a blank slate as opposed to, a an existing product but you're right you don't want to get hung up on it I mean in the yeah. end it, it, this is another classic mistake that people make that blows my mind they will spend three or four thousand dollars on some private label Amazon course but they won't spend a few hundred bucks buying everybody's competitive products and trying them out vigorously at home and that, that's insane yeah. I mean you need to do that research anyway and you may start off with an existing product and say actually yeah. this is pretty good and then yeah. of course you've got to be very expert in in the patent issues or patent issues and have yeah. a good lawyer and again, if you're going to spend ten, twenty thousand dollars customising your product, spend a thousand dollars on legal fees. I mean, mm-hmm. do the job. Don't don't mess about with the intellectual property law. I mean, it's just not worth it. I mean, Americans are very litigious, yeah. but it's not that much better in the UK. You you just want to do the job thoroughly. So there's obviously yeah. a lot of downsides because there's a lot of complexity in time. But really, the upside is very big when measured over years I would say. Okay. Now a little nuance that I love this let personal favorite handcrafted or rural sourcing is again you can do either lightly customizing or a unique product. But what's different about this compared to mass produced products? If you're mass producing a product in China for example, you might pay $5000 for the mold one if it's got three or four different plastic molds or silicon and then $2000 for this mold, etc. And then you have to produce 4,000 of them or they're not interested. Whereas if you're handcrafted, if if stuff is made by hand, by definition, you can kind of produce things in pretty small quantities. So the massive upside is that you can mass produce, you can, you can produce a product uh, that is truly unique and you could do it at a quantity of 100 or 200. And I'm working on that with a couple of clients right now. And and it really is a different ball game because you're risking a thousand dollars or two thousand on your first product run, even though it's completely unique, custom product. Mm-hmm. Rather than twenty thousand, it's just an astronomical difference in the finance and the risk. And also as a beautiful side effect that that economically, sustainably sourced, I should say, ecologically and kind of what's the word humanitarian sustained sourcing is very fashionable and will become it's a very long-term trend so from the consumer selling point of view it's it's great for the marketing as well so i'm a big big fan of that right now
1: i love that well before we go on to the final type of uh business model on amazon let me just pop in another question from the audience here amjid said please suggest the best way to find wholesale sources and distributors and this is a great question and michael where i thought you were about to take your comments You didn't, but it answers this question, so I'll (laughs) tie them together. I have one fun story that I remember hearing about in a a wonderful couple I met at a conference once. I asked them what they do and their journey on selling on Amazon, and they said that they live in a fairly rural place. It's in Northern California, as it happens, a little town called Corning, and uh, it's about, I don't know, an hour from me right now as I sit here. And their journey was that they went to this idea of selling on Amazon, started with a retail arbitrage, got clearances and discount items. And then I think they were at the farmer's market and they found a product. And I don't know that they'll care that I say it, but it was olive oil. And the, the area of North, Northern California that they live in is a massive, massive hub for high quality olive uh, growers and olive oil uh, manufacturers. And so there are many like farms that do this almost like wineries where have, you know, their their vineyard uh, setups, and then they have the wineries. And so they do that same thing with olive trees and olive production, olive oil. And they found a award-winning, state fair-winning producer who had no clue about selling on Amazon, didn't care to, didn't want to. And they literally just started working with that person and then sold their brand. I think they made it a private label brand. And their story, as I recall, was pallets and pallets and pallets shipped in like you know it it had scaled tremendously and so the issue there was the sourcing and the rural sourcing was a unique twist and I think that you if you live in the rural places of the world where there are unique elements like maybe it's wool manufacturing or it's some type of food specialty food product or so many things around the world are unique to those regions. That's an opportunity for sourcing. And then to answer the question more broadly than that, I would say there are trade associations and industries. ASD is a huge conference people go to in the U S to find relationships with wholesale distributors and, and you know, product makers. And there are many such places. People even do trade show tours to China to just see, you know, what exists in China. There's whole, There's a whole industry around that and whole areas of go to for certain types of products. So those types of sourcing uh, strategies are what you learn about as you get into this idea of finding products to resell. So I just wanted to mention that before we go on to to the third type of uh, product creation or business model. Yeah, just quickly to the
0: wholesale sourcing thing, another approach which is more online, and I guess you're not necessarily going to get such great margins, but might be simpler to start with, is, is to kind of reverse sourcing uh, as some people call it so you look on Amazon for the types Mm -hmm. of products and you filter down to products that look like they could have some margin and and could be good a choice for example there's not insane numbers of people reselling them and and you know that the amount per reseller is a reasonable that the price is reasonably stable that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then to figure out who is selling those and to approach those that's going to require a lot of mass production of emails and contacts. so that's like a numbers game I guess if you're more of a people person and and important caveat, if COVID permits you to do so, going to trade shows is going to be in some ways a lot more expensive than legwork and, and airfares and, and fares. But on the other hand, or car miles, on the other hand, you know, might be less kind of numbers driven. So it's going to be possibly a blend, but it will partly depend, again, like the RA versus OA idea. In essence, business-wise, it's the same model. But in practice, you may find that the more analytical and sort of behind a computer version works mm-hmm. for you
1: and other people might find that more in-person person works live from the studio audience another question how well do handmade items or those kinds of things that you're talking about sourcing michael how how do they sell on amazon and obviously it opens other doors etsy and ebay etc yeah. etc et
0: well i wouldn't say that there is a i mean there may or may not be a handmade category on amazon that's categorized by amazon but i'm mm-hmm. thinking more a sourcing model so you could very easily have yeah. us have a, have a, a again Bear in mind, Amazon shopping is really simple. We all do it, I guess, that you would as well, but it's keyword driven, right? So the categories are less important than than they would be in a shop, which is obviously a physical retail store. You only have one way of taxonomy, if you like. The arrangement of stuff is physically laid out in a rigid way. So the answer is they do really well, potentially, but it depends on what's out there and what your consumers want so you might well be selling something like i don't know barbecue equipment and the average thing might be made of plastic from china and the better stuff might be made of metal from somewhere else and then you might sell beautiful hand carved wooden ones at 50 bucks each instead of five dollars each it would be driven by similar keywords but then you've got to think about a couple of things first of all it's really an intersection between the type of consumer and the keywords they use who would be buying is there somebody out there who loves beautiful handmade stuff in a particular category and then what keywords do they use? And can you kind of punch through the noise on the on the platform? So there's no simple answer yeah. to that, but I mean, broadly speaking, yes, there's always a, a big appetite in certain areas like interior design, and in kitchenware, there seem to be trends towards handmade stuff and those go through mm-hmm. waves. And the other thing is I don't really know because I'm not the consumer of that. So you need to really understand a particular type of consumer to the point we made mm-hmm. earlier, to really know the answer to that. Is there an opportunity for handmade goods yeah. in this area? depends who you're selling to in some markets yes and the great thing about it is that not only can you have lower moq a lower minimum order quantity is much lower but also you can generally speaking sell for a higher price point because there's a higher Mm -hmm. perceived value depending on the market
1: i love it there is actually a amazon handmade category that they created or site they created a year and a half ago to compete with etsy Mm, so but but i love your twist on it where you know you're finding items that could be handmade, but I guess you could say small batch made in a uniform way that because, you know, there are challenges there related to uniqueness of items for product photography, etc. But if you can solve some of those items and make items that are handmade, but are, you know, in essence, the same item, and can sell for a premium, I love that angle. That's very interesting.
0: Yeah. It, well, it's working well for my, a couple of my clients. I, mean, I just think it's underused. Most people yeah. automatically go to Alibaba, which is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Don't do that, guys. Or to China. And and there are, having to order a huge number of things once you're doing a unique or fairly unique product is yeah. a huge risk factor. And if you can yeah. reduce that risk factor, again, it comes down to... The, the financial management actually, even though it seems like it's about a product category thing, it's more about the finance. If I could order 100 unique products made of silicone, I would care less, really. You know, mm-hmm. It's still a
1: good reason. Well, let's dive into our final category of business model, and that is digital publishing. I added this one to the list, so I'll just mention there's just two things I wanted to talk about with uh, this one. The first one, which has been all the rage in the last two or three years, is merch, which is uh, digital art that you can upload and sell on items in Amazon. Now, that model has been worked on for the last few years. Of course, Chris Green, who pioneers many things, pioneered and popularized this idea, I think, to many people. And then Neil Lassen and his business Merch Informer has become really a go-to resource for understanding how to use merch as a business model. It is, in essence, a digital art based business now digital art based business with sales on amazon was not something that was of interest to me but i will tell you this in the last two or three months the idea of nfts which if you're not familiar with that phrase go put it on youtube and you can see all the you know insight in in, in with it but non-fungible tokens is a cryptocurrency or blockchain based system for provenance for digital assets and if you haven't heard anything about this then i y- you might go research it a bit there are people who are making unique art and selling it now in under this structure of nfts and the items are selling for millions and millions of dollars christie's recently did a auction for an artist named beeple b e e p l e And his items went for, I think it was $67 million. And I think that was the second or third highest amount any living artist has ever received for an item that they've sold. And so if you're in merch right now, go research NFTs, go research selling on the NFT marketplaces. It is an odd and maybe highly profitable twist. To this idea of digital art Michael, have you heard about any of this? I just dropped all this on you i don't we've never I, talked about I it. I had no
0: idea it's a fascinating thing I, I would say that here's all I would say to that <laughs> this is my british yeah for cold water you know what I'm like uh being an author could make you j k Rowling who who is worth over a half a billion dollars most of the time it won't so I would say. <laughs> 67 million dollars sounds extraordinary i i don't know nft so i don't know the model so i can't really comment on that what i would say in yes. a more mundane everyday way is that yes. merch if you really love producing designs or you've got somebody on your side who can do it is potentially an amazing opportunity i know yes. a few people who've nibbled at the edges i don't really know people who've done it seriously so i can't speak to it mm. that way the only thing i would say is That is a very low barrier to entry. And whilst that means it could be a great way to get started yourself, and and who knows, maybe it'll make you millions. And please get in touch with us if it does. Love to hear it. And it is doing really well for some people. But generally, I'm always wary of very low barrier to entry
1: markets when they're as huge as Amazon. So that's all I would say about it. I like that feedback, and I don't disagree. I knew your British uh, sensibilities would pour a little bit of cooler water on the topic, but let me just say Maybe it's just me, man. (laughs) No, no, no. I think it's fair enough. But let me just say this. The attributes of a digital goods business model has two components. One is that there's near no barrier to entry. The other, though, is there's almost unlimited upside potential. So you're right. It's a weird and different business because on the lowest end of the spectrum, you can be competing with a million different people who have all different quality levels. On the upside potential, it can go stratospheric. And in between is what's called near zero marginal cost. So in essence, a digital good business has no inventory holding cost. You don't have to reorder. You don't have to have an MOQ. You don't have to have any of those things because they're irrelevant to a digital goods model. And that is one of the benefits of implementing it if you can make it work. So those are things to research. So that's the first one was merge. The second one, of course, is uh, self-publishing using Kindle, the KDP platform, which is the phrase now that Amazon uses for both Kindle, digital books, but also for physical paperback books. They used to have something called CreateSpace. It was a company they bought, but they have repositioned the whole thing under KDP so that you can now create both the Kindle version and the paperback version. And they're even testing hardback books now with some sellers. And so having a self-publishing business is certainly a direction to go in. And I, I keep telling people. And I just I'm trying to weave this into my client practice and the work with the coaches and the coaching work that I do with students is self publishing can be a model that you bolt onto a brand or a wholesale selling business model or a you know anything that you you know where there's a physical business model and the way you do that is education. So in any niche or industry, if there's people who don't understand the thing, if they need how-to guides, if they need reviews, if they need comparisons, which one is better, the top 10 list for this or that, all of those types of information needs are the groundwork upon which you could build a digital goods catalog and bolt into your existing physical items. It really is that simple. And it will create a revenue stream for you in your branded product that is a completely different mathematics used in different ways for things like, you know, free gifts for lead generation, et cetera, et cetera. So I really challenge people to look into digital goods, even if they have a core product that is a branded physical item. I think there's huge value there.
0: Totally with you on that. And here's what I would say. First of all, I mean, I've mean, i got to honour the fact that you and cinema have made a good living from digital goods. And I, I'm a total believer in the potential of that. I think there's an, a difference for me between merch and self-publishing is this. I don't know if it's true that, that it's easier to create physical um, designs for, for uh, T-shirts. I'm a word-based guy. If you're very, very focused, again, to the point of a business model matching with who you are, if you're an absolute whiz at graphic design and you passionately love it, then that could be a perfect model for you. For me, I think the wonderful thing about books is that a lot of us have a book in us. I certainly, one of those people but somehow people perceive books to be so hard that most people don't get round to writing one compared Mm -hmm. to whacking up some t-shirt design with some cutesy slogan on it, right? Now, that may or may not be true for certain individual people. For me, although there's not much barrier to entry to creating a book, in theory, in practice, you've got to create a book and we've talked about that before and there is quite a process to go through and I think there's a mental barrier to entry which I kind of find attractive because I want to find Mm -hmm. barriers to entry. So if there's something that is a mental barrier to entry for a lot of other people but you can break past it, I'm Mm -hmm. absolutely with you on not only the opportunity of books at or, or forms of books as a product in them on themselves but i totally agree with you that having us part of a product stack is super smart and again because most people don't do it it's a it's an
1: opportunity hidden in plain sight i think so i really am with you on that one well this has been a wonderful conversation we're well past an hour And we've had a great time with it. So I think this will probably produce two or maybe three podcasts. I'm not sure. But a wonderful conversation, Michael. really appreciate your insights and perspective on the various business models. And uh, so let's wrap it up. What's the takeaway in terms of next steps for people who are listening to this and want to go deeper? Obviously, you've got private label expertise. You could teach people private label through one-on-one coaching. You want to just mention how they can connect with you and those types of details?
0: Sure. So if you go to amazingfba.com, FBA is in fulfilled by Amazon, amazingfba.com forward slash mentoring. Uh, that's where I do with one-to-one work. I quite often work these days with people who've got established businesses, but want to spin them up in the private label space and or they've got wholesale backgrounds. Sometimes they're doing quite big numbers, but they want to add private label products to the mix. And the 10K Collective Mastermind, if you're doing at least 50,000 bucks a, a month or so f- upwards, it could be the place for you as well. So just go to the theamazonmastermind.com
1: if you want to check that out awesome and if you want to follow up with me and learn more about our coaching and small groups you can do that at WinningOnShopify.com. and there's a coaching tab there where you can learn more so thanks again michael really really appreciate the chance to do these sessions with you it's always an honor and uh, we'll leave it there thanks man yeah always an honor as well
0: that was the e-commerce leader podcast with michael Vizi in london england and jason miles in seattle washington If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.TheEcommerceLeader.com. No hyphens, just
1: as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.